You're listening to the Fertility Academy Podcast, Episode 8. Today, we're talking all about PCOS with Dr. Sarah DeMono. She gives some really great tips that you can start implementing today, so stay tuned. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Welcome to the Fertility Academy podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. Today, my guest is Dr. Sarah DeMuno. She's one of the highly skilled and awesome naturopathic doctors that I have the pleasure of working with at my clinic, the Toronto Reproductive Acupuncture Clinic. Today, we're going to unpack PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome and how it relates to fertility. We'll talk about diagnosis of PCOS types of PCOS, different treatment approaches to PCOS, both from a conventional medical perspective and from a naturopathic perspective. We talk about other conditions that can present themselves like PCOS, but warrant further investigation. And we also talk about the menstrual cycle tracking, body literacy, and how we aren't given the tools to really know about our bodies from a young age in our culture. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to give you Dr. Domeno's professional bio. Dr. Sarah is a naturopathic doctor and women empowerer. She works with women to heal their fatigue, stress, and abnormal menstrual cycles and helps them get the energy, happiness, and flow they need for their careers and families. She was frustrated by the lack of answers in her own journey with endometriosis and irregular cycles until she started using the specific strategy she learned with her naturopathic degree. This has inspired her to heal other menstruating people using the powerful holistic treatment she found outside of the conventional medical system. She wants you to know that you do have options. So without further ado, let's play my interview with Dr. Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Amazing. So for our audience, I just want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I've already read your bio in the intro, but if you could tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got into doing it, that'd be great. Yeah, so I am a naturopathic doctor, um, So, which means I treat many women with menstrual conditions and fertility, and I have done you know, years of schooling to be able to do that, but I'm really focusing on, you know, holistic treatments. And the reason why I ended up being here is because of my own journey. So about 19 years old, I had uh, my first really, really awful period, I would say. I was throwing up, um, I was debilitated by my menstrual cramps, and it was completely life-altering. Like, I couldn't do anything on that menstrual cycle. And that's really what has kind of sparked the rest of rest of my career. I had had to kind of advocate my, for myself in terms of finding out uh, different avenues of treatment. And my first stop was, of course, the medical system. And so I remember going to the on-site campus, the site at the time I was in university, on the on-campus um, doctor's office and they just had handed me like stronger pain medication and 
and also the birth control pill, which works for some people. But for me, it just didn't, it did not resonate and it didn't really help my symptoms at all. I kind of fell upon naturopathic medicine accidentally. I went to a career night one night and I heard this woman speak about naturopathic medicine and that they were able to do lab work. For some reason, the lab work really, <laughs> really was the convincing factor for me. And I called my parents that night and I decided, okay, like I'm doing this. And it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to discover all of the other treatments that are available to me in terms of helping my menstrual cycle. So that is really what ended up making me want to do what I do because I was able to help myself through naturopathic medicine, find out the other options that I had no idea were even available to me, especially as a young woman in my early 20s. And that is something I commonly hear too with my patients now is that they wish they had known about this even earlier. Um, so I definitely have my mission to educate women that there are other options. And that's what inspires me today. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. So you had these painful, terrible, awful periods, and you were able to heal yourself using this incredible medicine that you ended up doing as a career and as a practice. And I think that a lot of us in this field have similar stories. I have a similar story myself. And I know that a lot of our colleagues have a similar story as well. So that's amazing. Very inspiring. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we're going to talk about PCOS today. Um, PCOS is something that's super common in the fertility world, um, especially in the context that we work in, in the clinic in Toronto, we see patients in person and we see lots of PCOS um, because it comes up a lot of the time when people are trying to get pregnant is when it really becomes a problem for them. So let's chat a little bit about that. I'd love you to tell me what is the connection between PCOS and fertility? So one of the main symptoms that happens with PCOS is something called anovulation. So that it means that uh, the female is not ovulating, which is essential basically for conception. Um, so that is probably the main mechanism that happens. And so it's hard to, you know, time your cycle when you don't have an ovulation. So the other thing that can also happen, which I think is less known by our PCOS, sisters or sisters, as they say, um, is that it can also lead to complications once you are pregnant as well. So it does increase your chances of miscarriage um, and then also gestational diabetes. So it's not only impacting your ability to conceive, but it may be impacting your abil ability to maintain pregnancy and have a healthy pregnancy. So it's really, really important. I do, I, it is the most common cause of infertility or one of the most common causes of infertility. So it is something, again, like Michelle said, we do see pretty frequently in practice, especially because it does end up becoming more uh, debilitating when you are trying to conceive. Um, but I do find, and just my opinion, I don't know if you you find this as well, Michelle, is that it's actually one of the one, uh, one of the conditions that I feel very like very confident in the fact that like these females, these women can get pregnant with the right treatment, especially if you are able to find out what the root cause is. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think it's one of those magical areas that alternative and complementary medicine from allied health professionals can really benefit people because PCOS tends to be a syndrome that the main medical system just doesn't have a lot of answers for, especially outside of the context of getting pregnant. Um, you know, typically they'd say, okay, well, we need to do IVF or use medications, but there really isn't anything more subtle than that. Um, and so I love that we can help people by suggesting lifestyle changes and things that are, you know, easier or more cost effective or less invasive to be able to do to be able to balance the hormones and help them get pregnant and stay pregnant. So it's it's one of those really interesting areas to work in for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I also I also find too, like you said, most women that come in are looking to conceive, but um, PCOS also has a other um, lifestyle diseases that it's connected to that it actually sets you up for a higher risk of developing like diabetes, heart disease, osteoporosis. So I just wanted to stick that in there because I think sometimes when it is kind of under the umbrella of women's health, it seems to get less priority unless you are getting trying to conceive, but it actually does impact your overall health. So it is really important to address otherwise. Of course, of course. And so for people who maybe aren't familiar or are maybe kind of wondering if they have PCOS or don't have a formal diagnosis, um, can you talk a little bit about what is PCOS? Is it a dysfunction of hormones? Is it a metabolic disorder? Can you talk a little bit about that just briefly? Yeah, so PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome does impact women typically or the onset is around the reproductive age. And so it usually is, it's kind of, it's a hormonal imbalance that does typically lead to higher androgen levels, but there are other hormonal imbalances that impact things like insulin or blood sugars that also can play a part in terms of the condition. Okay, perfect. And how does that usually manifest in people other than I can't get pregnant and I can't ovulate? Would there be other signs? How do you diagnose PCOS? So I, I usually go off of the Rotterdam criteria. So this is just a criteria to help us uh, diagnose PCOS since it is a syndrome and not a disease. Um, so usually it requires two of the following. So one being something that we already chatted about the anovulation um, or irregular menstrual cycles. So that really looks like if your cycles are longer than 35 days or you're having less than 10 menstrual cycles a year that is sig signifying to us that you're not ovulating regularly. The next thing would be to have cysts on your ovaries. So this is something that you would have done through a pelvic ultrasound and typically on day three to five of your cycle. And the last one would be high testosterone levels either seen on blood work or symptomatically. So that can be acne, hair loss, hair thinning, hair growth in places that you don't want it. So having two of the three is the diagnostic criteria for PCOS. Okay. And the word cyst is in the term, um, in the title of the condition. Um, but I've, I've, I understand that you don't necessarily need the multiple cysts in order to be diagnosed. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? 
Yeah. So as, as I've gone, I have gone through the, the criteria, basically you could have just a regular menstrual cycles and have high testosterone and, and still be diagnosed with PCOS. So they're actually finding that the name is a bit of a misnomer and that there's actually, um, they're trying to change and propose changes to the name because it is pretty misleading, especially some family doctors, if they're not, um, you know, educated more so in women's health or have a special interest, they might send you for a pelvic ultrasound and not see, not see uh, cysts and, and say, oh, you don't have PCOS. So it's, it's not something that is within the diagnostic criteria if you have the other two criteria that I mentioned already. Okay, that makes sense. And so that leads me to believe that there are different types of PCOS. And so can you talk a little bit about the different combinations of symptoms and types and, and what that means? Definitely. All this, this gets me so excited because I definitely think that it is one area that isn't re- well known, um, especially with talking about the different root causes of PCOS. So the first one that I want to talk about, I want to talk about, uh, I'll probably spend a little bit more time on because it is the number one root cause of PCOS. So it's the most common cause of PCOS, or I should say root cause. Um, So that is the insulin resistance. So insulin is a hormone that helps control blood sugar levels. And in someone in PCOS, they typically end up having high levels of insulin. This means that their body is is working really hard to balance blood sugar levels. So as the insulin levels rise, that actually suppresses ovulation altogether. It increases testosterone over estrogen. So your body starts to prefer testosterone over estrogen and it increases LH. So L luteinizing hormone. So for those of you who have done uh, ovulation predictor kits at home to try to identify an ovulation, that test is specifically looking at LH. Um, and that's why for some women with PCOS, if they do have high levels of LH, those ovulation predictor kits might actually not work well for them because it's going to look like they have high LH for a lot of their cycle. For people who do have insulin resistance PCOS, this is where it's really common to have weight issues with weight management. So having feeling like you're doing all the right things, but not able to lose the weight easily. So doing the diet and lifestyle changes, but the weight not changing. A really good way of looking at insulin resistance or trying to figure out if you have insulin resistance is in fact looking at your blood sugar levels and looking at your insulin levels. So I find that insulin is the test that does get missed quite often because you can look like, and this is a little confusing for people, you can have completely normal blood sugar levels but still have insulin resistance because it's the insulin that's going, that's high and elevating and not the blood sugar levels. In some cases, if it is progressed, you will see blood sugar, abnormal blood sugars too. So this is the main, main cause of PCOS or one of, yeah, probably the most main issue of PCOS, but not everyone has insulin resistance. So that's where we get on to the other types of PCOS. 
The next one I would say is a post pill PCOS. So this is when you've tip, when you've when you've been on the birth control pill and spent some time on the birth control pill and then you decide to stop it. This is a really common occurrence for individuals then deciding that they want to conceive. So they come off the pill, but then their period doesn't restart. And so a really good way of trying to figure out, okay, is this in fact, post pill PCOS is looking at what your menstrual cycle looked like before and after the pill. Was your menstrual cycle regular before you went on the pill? And then when you came off, then it might mean that you always had a menstrual irregularity that just was maxed by the pill. Um, another thing that you want to look at is um, you still want to look at if you have insulin resistance PCOS, you have to rule that out because the pill does cause insulin resistance itself. So if you already had that mechanism, you want to make sure you're ruling that out. What happens here is that the pill suppresses all your hormones and there is a bit of a relapse that happens when you come off the pill. So all of the hormones start to be overproduced because your body's trying to correct and get things started again. So this is where you can get a high in elevation in testosterone and that's why it looks like you have PCOS for a period of time. The good news is here. Uh, it should eventually go away with the right hormonal supports. And so it's not typically a lifelong issue. Um, the next one is inflammatory PCOS. So this is where you might notice that you do have some inflammation in the body. So I feel like that's such a big term, you know, like everyone thinks, oh, I have inflammation. Um, so signs of inflammation that you want to look at is like, maybe you have skin conditions like psoriasis or eczema, um, IBS, headaches, a lot, a lot of fatigue. Um, and so if you're noticing that you do have any of those symptoms and you don't have insulin resistant PCOS, if you don't have, if you haven't just been on the birth control pill, then we're going to think that inflammation is the root cause of your PCOS. And then lastly, uh, which I find that this one actually doesn't get enough recognition, and I do find this happens a lot, is the adrenal PCOS. So adrenal, for those of you who don't know, adrenals are associated with our stress hormone cortisol. So it's adrenal gland. They're like little hats that sit on the kidneys and the adrenals produce cortisol, our stress hormone, but it also produces DHEA. So DHEA is can does get converted into testosterone. So what happens is with adrenal PCOS is that you might have prolonged periods of stress, which I feel like many, many can identify with if you've just been under low key stress for a long period of time, your body, it's hard for it to sustain that. So it ends up trying to elevate DHEA to balance out your stress hormone. It's a protective mechanism that happens, but because the DHEA is so high, you end up with test high testosterone or to symptoms of high testosterone. So typically these, these patients don't have insulin resistance and maybe you test testosterone, but testosterone is normal. The only one that typically is elevated and you'll see on blood work is DHEA. So if you're only testosterone indication is high DHEA, you probably want to be looking at your stress levels and if you do have adrenal PCOS. So those are the main four root causes of PCOS.
Amazing. Thank you so much. So I had a couple of questions that kind of came up along the way that I just want to pop in there. For sure. I want to go back to the explanation about the LH surge and talk about ovulation predictor kits. I know that a lot of people come into clinic and they just completely plan their life around the LH strips and using ovulation predictor kits. And I have a lot of conversations with patients about, well, that might not be a good match for your condition because it could produce a lot of false positives and it's causing a lot of stress and it's wasting a lot of money. Um, so do you have any advice for people who want a way to track their cycle, but the ovulation predictor kits, which are basically a stick that you pee on to see if you've had that luteinizing hormone surge that happens before ovulation, but you're saying that in PCOS that can happen multiple times throughout the cycle. Do you have any advice for people who want to track their cycles, but maybe with a more reliable method? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I usually then default to using something called the fertility awareness method, which is looking at a collection of different changes within the body to identify your fertile window. Uh, So that would include tracking your temperature daily, tracking changes within your cervical mucus, and then also tracking uh, the patency of your cervix. So the cervix is what sits at the top of the vaginal canal, and there are changes within that and and using them all together to a try and narrow down basically a fertile window. So the fertile window is the six days of your cycle that you would be the most likely to conceive. Perfect. And for our listeners who are interested in more information on that, I really like Lisa Hendrickson Jack's podcast called Fertility Fridays. She's also a local Toronto girl who I just love. I listen to her podcast every week. So I will post the link to her podcast in the show notes. She offers tons of amazing online programs and workbooks and charting information. And she has lots of free resources on her website as well. So I highly recommend checking her out. Speaking of Lisa, she's also highly outspoken about oral contraceptive pills. And that leads me to my next question, which is, you talked about post-pill PCOS. And so eventually, we know that the body will regulate itself, as you said, and that's going to look different in each woman, of course. And so when your patients come to you and they say, I'm thinking about trying at some point, I want to go off the pill. How long do you usually ask them to be off the pill before they start trying? How long do you recommend people give themselves before they start trying? Oh, that's a good question too. Okay, so I mean, if you're going by the book, basically, it can take even about six months for your menstrual cycle to even return after going on the pill. So like my rule of thumb would be having probably three normal menstrual cycles before trying to conceive. So that may be the six months to get your menstrual cycle back plus the three months of having regular menstrual cycles um, because we want to make sure that your hormones are completely balanced and you're having all the normal processes basically to ovulate and to sustain a pregnancy. Um, There are a lot of nutrient deficiencies that are associated with the pill as well. So you want to make sure you are replacing those too. Um, But typically, I would say use any like the rule of thumb is usually like three to six months in terms of impacting the 
the egg, the health of the egg. So anything you're doing now impacts the health of the egg three months from now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in clinic, we talk a lot about, well, if you're going to try a therapy, you try it for three menstrual cycles, because that's essentially how long it takes an egg to come out of dormancy and fully form until it's ready to ovulate. And so we have that three menstrual cycles to have an effect on the quality of that egg and the integrity of that egg and the development of that egg. And so any changes that you make throughout the cycle will have that effect um, during that time. So that's great. I know there are people out there, I think Lisa's one of them, and she actually says, well, ideally, you'd give yourself two years, you know, in an ideal world. And I think that kind of brings it back to the fact that as women, we're just not being taught about our bodies properly. You know, we don't have the education just built into our culture that, you know, these are the way our, this is the way our body works. And this is how this medication is going to affect it. And I don't think that we're truly being given the opportunity for informed consent when going on the pill. And so that's a longer conversation, obviously. Uh, but I think, you know, three to six months is a good, nice round number that I that would probably feel palatable and reasonable for most people. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like I can relate in terms of like my own journey of through my own menstrual cycles and the fact that I have been in the last year or so with Michelle's help working on my my hormones and I can see the difference you know, I feel like this entire year was necessary in terms of trying to impact my hormones. And I almost have a better understanding. I understand where that two years comes from, because I feel like for my own journey, another year from now, I'm going to be like golden in terms of my symptoms. So it does take a long time to true, if you're talking about truly, truly healing, I understand where she's coming from with that, that two year mark. Yeah, I think it comes along with the education piece as well, because in our culture as women, we don't have this foundational understanding of how our body works. And it takes time. I mean, if you use the fertility awareness method, for example, it takes time to learn your body and how it works and how the subtle changes can happen due to stress or lifestyle issues or different circumstances. And, you know, it's really a study of how your individual physiology works. And that awareness and sensitivity can really come in handy when you're trying to have a baby, of course. But it's it's a process that takes time. So if you have the two years, Amazing. And I think it would be great if we were more culturally inclined to teach women to know this stuff from when they get their first period, and then it could be a lifelong um, endeavor to learn these things. Wishful thinking for future generations, of course. (laughs) I know my daughter is definitely going to have this education as soon as she's ready for it. That's amazing. Yeah. So let's bring it back to PCOS. So in clinic, when you're working with people, Well, let's talk about treatment of PCOS. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what modern medicine, uh, so the medical treatments that might be available to people, and then maybe talk a little bit about how you would treat it. Okay, yeah. So in the Western Medical Society, typically the biggest thing, the most common thing to be recommended for someone who is not trying to conceive is the birth control pill. So it's thought that if you want to have regular periods, then go on the birth control pill and it'll regulate, quote unquote, your cycle. What most women don't know is that, again, it's completely masking the symptoms. So really, 
all of your own production of hormones are completely shunted off and you're just getting this constant dose of hormone through the pill. So when you bleed at the end of each month or each pack, you're really having a withdrawal bleed from being exposed to hormone versus actually having a real period. So it's a lot different. Um, another common recommendation would be a medication called metformin. So metformin is used typically for more like for diabetes, but it does help with women with PCOS in some can some cases because it does actually help the insulin resistance and also it does help with promoting weight loss, which helps as well um, in terms of regulating your cycle. When it comes to fertility, then there are a slew of different hormonal uh, medications that happen there as well to, you know, stimulate an ovulation and suppress other hormones and such like that. So then it turns into, yeah, fertility medication. So that's more the Western perspective. When it comes to more of a holistic treatment, I really, number one, have to find out. You have to find out what the root cause of your PCOS is. That is going to completely change the treatment protocol. So for example, someone with insulin resistance PCOS, I'm going to be trying to impact insulin levels. So that's going to look like a lot of different lifestyle uh, changes. Number one, I would say if I could give a tip for insulin resistance is cut out sugar. I think many women really, really focus on cutting out carbs, which is more secondary to the sugar. In my opinion, you want to make sure you're cutting out refined sugar over carbs because carbs do, do play a important role in terms of hormonal regulation as well. So I would say there's no point in cutting out carbs if you're continuing to eat sugar. Um, in terms of post-pill PCOS, a tip that I would mention there is, well, patience, a little bit of patience, <laughs> uh, allowing your body time to remember how to have a menstrual cycle and the hormonal processes that happen with that. But also, this is kind of a funny one, but need to eat enough. You, you need to eat about 2000 calories a day. I don't love talking about calories, but you need to eat enough in order for your body to ovulate. So I would recommend just making sure you are having enough calories per day. Your stress is being managed if you want your menstrual cycle to return faster. In terms of inflammatory PCOS, a tip there I would say is looking at the inflammatory foods that you're, you're consuming in your diet. So looking at things like dairy, potentially gluten, things like that. I would say if you are, if you do have a lot of inflammation or if you're thinking that this is the type of PCOS you have, it's probably best to seek help when trying to do an, a, a full-on elimination diet because that can be really overwhelming, not really sure what foods to, to eliminate, but that is something that you might want to consider. And then the adrenal PCOS, I mean, I think it goes without saying, working on stress management, that's where things like the meditation journaling come in and then acupuncture. I love, love, love acupuncture for this one. Amazing. Thank you. That's really good advice. Good tips too. 
And so I'm wondering, for people who have symptoms of PCOS, but it doesn't totally fit with what's going on, like maybe the blood tests just don't really reflect that kind of diagnosis. Are there other conditions that you might consider in clinic if somebody has, uh, you know, PCOS symptoms, but doesn't have the blood work to back it up? Definitely. I love this question. So there are there are uh, many other conditions that I would consider. Um, one honorable mention, I'll just mention the thyroid, making sure that you check your thyroid levels, uh, because that can definitely cause irregular menstrual cycles. But the one that I really wanted to mention here is something called hypothalamic amenorrhea. So hypothalamic amenorrhea actually has cysts on the ovaries, high androgen symptoms, um, irregular menstrual cycles or absent menstrual cycles. So when you're looking at it from a symptom point of view, it looks really similar. The difference here being, I mean, you can what you usually can find in terms of the diagnostic factor is looking at LH and FSH. So again, you always want to make sure you're testing on day three to day five. But hypothalamic amenorrhea, again, has a whole different mechanism of action. So it has a different root cause. Um, And usually where PCOS has to do a little bit more with like metabolic conditions like diabetes and like blood sugar dysregulation, when we're talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea, it's actually like usually um, a lot of stress and low calorie count. Um, so basically a dysfunction between your hypothalamus pituitary axis, which is just a connection from your brain to your ovaries and your stress. Um, but I find that this is where I'm seeing it the most. This condition is within my, yeah, my young lady. So around 18 to 22, just maybe they're in university, they're not eating a lot because they're in school and um, or a history having a history of an eating disorder. Um, and then then their periods disappear. And I'm really, really seeing that a lot where again, because PCOS is so prevalent, they think, oh, I have PCOS or have been told they have PCOS. But in fact, that's not not the right diagnosis. And if you were to treat as if you had PCOS, you might actually make it worse. So you want to make sure you're making that differentiation. Perfect. That's really great information. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I can think of another group of folks that I commonly see that maybe tend towards that as well. And that's that high powered female executive that we see a lot of being in Toronto, um, who, you know, burn the candle at both ends and be over exercise and under eat. And yeah, that's, um, that's a tough one, because I think that it really comes from these deep cultural pressures that we have put on us as women to do it all and have the perfect career and the perfect body and to look a certain way. And uh, it's, it's hard working against those forces for sure. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that with natural treatment, it is, you know, possible to bring your period back and to have a normal cycle. A hundred percent. It's so possible. Amazing. So I think that um, what I'd like to ask you next is if people are hearing this information for the first time, or maybe they're kind of just getting started on discovering a little bit more about PCOS and their own body, and people who are maybe total beginners, what's one thing that you could tell them to help them get started today on healing? 
So I would, my number one recommendation, if you aren't already doing it, is to track your cycle. Download an app, start tracking your cycle, but don't stop there. I think many women are doing a better job at tracking their cycles in terms of downloading apps and things, but then not really progressing it any further. So I want you to track your cycle, but then I also want you to pay attention to the hormonal changes and the symptoms. So don't just track when you have your period, when your period starts and ends. Track how you feel within the month. Start to notice the patterns of hormonal changes that happen. Do you feel usually a bit more tired at the end of your cycle? Do you feel more energetic around your ovulation? Really getting in touch with those symptoms to really learn more about yourself and then use that information to advocate for yourself. Don't take no for an answer. There's going to be someone that's willing to listen to your concerns because once you get to know yourself, you're going to be able to better understand the changes that happen and the things that the lifestyle factors that you do, if they're things that are going wrong, so you can better advocate for those things. And I really just that's yeah, my main thing advocating for yourself, finding that person to listen to you. Perfect. And that person very well might be your medical doctor, but I've met a lot of people who that person in their life is not their medical doctor. And so seek a second opinion or a third opinion, or if you can't get those those opinions from the medical community, then see a naturopath because naturopathic doctors are magical people. And, you know, oh, they you. want to, <laughs> they want to listen and they want to help you and they want to get to the root cause and they, they tend to be really amazing listeners. Um, so definitely reach out to a naturopath if you're having trouble finding answers in the normal ways that you would look for things. And so that leads me to the next question, which is, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about um, how people can get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation. Where can they find you online? And uh, what are you offering up these days? Yeah, so I will be, I I love to hang out on uh, Instagram and interact with my patients and community through Instagram. So if you want to go and give me a follow at Dr. Jumuno ND, I think Michelle's going to put that in the show notes as well. So I love to interact with all of you. I love finding out what kind of information you guys want to learn about. Um, And there you can find basically my website if you want to learn more a bit about me and what I do. Right now I'm offering free 30-minute consultations. So if you want to speak to me a little bit more individually about your case and how naturopathic medicine might be able to help you and your condition, then definitely take advantage of that. I would love to speak to you about everything that's going on. As Michelle said, I love to listen. I'm such a good listener. Perfect. So I'll make sure that I link all that information in the show notes so you can find Dr. Sarah. And also, we'd love to have you in the Fertility Academy online community on Facebook. It's free to join. And there's lots of discussion going on there about all sorts of things that impact fertility and PCOS is definitely one of them. So I will link that in the show notes as well. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. It was lovely to have you and we got some really good juicy information and tips. So thanks a lot. No problem. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you. 
So that's it for this week's episode. As promised, I'll link all of the resources mentioned in the show notes. You can find all the info here to be able to connect with Dr. Sarah and continue the conversation. That's going to be it for me this week. Until next Wednesday, take care. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.